Amen. You know, I was thinking as we're singing that, the, you know, a lot of times it's easy to talk about the, um, the beauty of that, right? That's the easy part to talk about. I think when you see suffering in your own life, when you see things like what happened in Israel over the last few days, it's a reminder um, that there is spiritual warfare taking place, that there is um, hate, there's evil. We wouldn't have to travel to Israel to find that. It's happening in the walls of our church. It's happening outside the walls of the church. It happens in our heart, right? Jesus in Matthew 5 took those Ten Commandments and expanded them to the heart, right? And so I think while we want to take a minute to pray, and I think even some of you know people who are in the Middle East right now, and so we want to be sensitive to that. We want to take a minute to pray for that, not just dive into what we have going. Um, But it is a reminder that at any moment, life can change, isn't it? That we are not guaranteed tomorrow. But as we were singing that, you know, there's a, there's a temptation when you sing something like, I have decided to follow Jesus, that that's all on you. <laughs> but that declaration is that when the Spirit of God moves in your heart and draws you to Himself, saves you, right? Dead people don't do anything. Let's have good theology here, right? When you were dead in your trespasses and sins, Jesus made you alive together with Him, right? That is what the Gospel is. It is good news to your heart. Into your life. But after that, the Spirit of God will begin when you begin to walk with Him. He'll begin to work in you. And every day you'll become more aware of your need for Jesus than you were the day before. Amen? And so our, our aspirational declaration there to the Holy Spirit, and we say, Holy Spirit, will you help me with this, is to do what Jesus says. It's to choose to follow. Right? And so, Jesus said it this way, that our choice daily, as the scripture said, is to pick up our cross and follow him. So, when we sing that, the cross before me, that's what we're saying, that's what we're singing, that's what we're declaring is that, so help me God, (laughs) help me pick up my cross and follow you, that the Holy Spirit would work through us. And so, it's just with that hanging above us, right? You, you see things like innocent civilians in the midst of warfare. It's a physical picture of a spiritual reality that we are in that battle every day and it becomes acutely aware to us when those images come across our screen. And so, I don't have answers. We don't have answers, but we do serve the Lord, right? And he has answers. And in his time, right, even Joseph declared when his brothers who sold him into slavery stood before him and said, what you meant for evil, God was able to use for good. And so that's our confession, that God can do things that we are unable to do. Amen? So why don't we pray, and then we'll dive into John 17 today. God, thank you for being God. We pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Would your kingdom come? 
Would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? That is our confession, that you are God and that we are not. We are reminded as we build our little kingdoms, that Holy Spirit, in a moment, that can be altered. We're reminded of your word that says, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And so we rest in that anchor for the soul. That you sit outside of what is temporary. Though you chose to enter what is temporary. To show us God. In the incarnation we find hope today. That you came to earth. That you lived. That you died. But more importantly that you rose again. And in that we have life. We have hope. And as your word says, we don't ever have to walk in darkness again. So with that in mind, we pray for the Middle East right now. We join the chorus of your people all around the world praying. We repent that we don't pray enough for other places in the world. For our own neighborhoods, for our own cities, for our own families. That God, we get wrapped up in the idolatry of our heart. And we're reminded today that there is war going on, both in our hearts, in our world. And so we pray for the people involved in this war. God, I pray for people on both sides of that Gaza Strip who are innocent people, who are made in your image, who need you. I pray that governments would see you, that they wouldn't see power. And we pray that, God, you would do what only you can do. And in the places that we don't understand, God, I pray that you would use what is evil for good. And we leave that in your strong and capable hands. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I want to start to transition us out of that by asking you to stand back up with me. We're going to read all, yes I said all, of John 17. And the reason we stand is because worship is not just a pastoral sport, it is a participatory sport. This is what God has preserved for us through the pen of His people, inspired, God breathed by the Holy Spirit through the personalities and pens of some sinners like you and me. And it is the word of the Lord. And so we honor it by standing and participating in it. It's a special chapter. It's the high priestly prayer. We'll talk about that a little bit. But to get the blood flowing, I have you stand. The Bible says this in John 17 verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, 14, 15, and 16, what we just have studied in the past weeks, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son so that the Son may glorify You. Since You have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom You have given Him. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the one and only true God, 
and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the Son of Destruction. That the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be... In, be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Amen. You can be seated. 
I read that in its entirety because we couldn't possibly today unpack everything that is there. I would encourage you to spend some time there this week. But I want to begin with this thought after reading the word. This will not be on the screen. I just want you to ponder it. C.S. Lewis said this, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Let me say it again. Aim at heaven and you will get the earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. St. Paul the Apostle speaks this as well in Colossians chapter 3 verse 2. He said it this way. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. The choice we get is where we will set our affection. Right? We can aim for heaven, we can set our minds on things above, or we can aim at earth. Jesus would go on to say, though, that wouldn't it be tragic for you to gain the whole world and lose your soul? John 17, then, is the climax of what theologians call Jesus' Farewell discourse. This is his high priestly prayer. High priestly prayer because he is the great high priest, Hebrews tells us. Important because he was the one who would go to the cross, pay the price for sin, get buried in a borrowed tomb only to rise three days later that first Easter. Can I get an amen in church? Let's not be too serious today. He is victorious. We've been singing that all morning. But this magnificent prayer comes on the heels of his, really his sermon in chapters 14, 15, and 16, right? Where he's describing what it looks like to live this life that you never have to walk in darkness, but always have the light of life. And hopefully you're sitting there thinking, But I feel like there's some darkness still, right? I look out and I see your faces and I know that this is a commingled thing for you and I, isn't it? Right now. It always is. When you step into middle school or high school or elementary school and somebody makes fun of you, that doesn't feel like never walking in darkness. When you go through divorce, that doesn't feel like never walking in darkness. When you get a cancer diagnosis, that doesn't feel like never walking in darkness. Honestly, when you just age, that doesn't always feel like never walking in darkness. There are these things, I mean, just we could talk about our own sin, right? Where we choose, where we know what is right and we choose not to do it and to him it is sin, scripture says, right? And we do that all the time. And so we identify with Paul in Romans 7, right? When he says, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? That's kind of where we go. But then we have Jesus here, in my opinion, in his prayer to the Father, giving us the how of the Christian life. Giving us the how of the Christian life. And listen, for the disciples that were standing there in his presence, as Jesus prays this, This was commingled for them too because their leader, their north star, their rabbi was leaving them. 
And he had just told them that it was actually going to be better for them that he was leaving. And they couldn't possibly have understood that yet. Even though he was telling them that the spirit of truth would come. And so in other words, he was leaving them. He was then going to fill them with the Holy Spirit. And then they would be the ones proclaiming the kingdom without the king. And Jesus says that will be better. I think it's interesting in verse 4 that he talks about the fact that his work was coming to completion, right? That it would, in fact, when he died on the cross, rose from the grave and then ascended back to the Father, that his work here would be complete. And then it would turn... And we would have the opportunity to live that Trinitarian life where we are looking to the Father because of the work of the Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to live this Christian life that was described for us. But here's the rub. Most of us aren't really seeking that life. Too soon? (laughs) I'm not either. In reality, right? I want that. We don't always have that, do we? We live in this secular moment with so many enticing things, don't we? So we won't unpack everything this text this morning, and that won't be my aim, just so you know, not to do everything. But what I, what I do want to do is just go through the whole thing relatively quickly before we take communion together. Because I want you to see... Just a survey of what is happening here and then we'll tie that together at the end with a glorious truth that I think will really help you. But the way I want to do this, and so if you're a note taker or you're a list maker or you're type A, today is your day. I don't normally preach like this, but I want you to know that every now and then I throw you a bone and uh, we're going to do a list today of 15 facts you can learn from Jesus' prayer, okay? These are not going to be on the screen, so you're going to have to write fast or go back and watch it on YouTube later or listen to the podcast. All right, are we ready? All right, I think you're with me. Some of you are laughing because you're like, this this guy's not a list guy, all right? So we'll see how I do with the list. I like to deviate, so we'll see how long this takes. But 15 facts we can learn as Jesus praise. Number one comes from verse six, and it is this. We are God's people. You are told in this secular moment that you can be whatever you want to be, that you can do whatever you want to do, that you can change whatever you want to change, that you can live however you want to live, but the reality is that is not true. You are being sold a lie, you're being sold a bill of goods that is not true and leads to death. The scripture says there is a way that leads to death, but there is a way that leads to life. And it is important for us to know that we are God's people. Listen again to verse 6. The Bible says, I have manifested your name, this is Jesus speaking, to the people whom you gave me. Out of the world. Listen to this. Yours they were. 
I love that. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. We are God's people. We have an identity in the family of God. Paul would say it this way, that we are adopted as sons and daughters crying out, Abba, Father. That is who you are, and don't let anybody tell you different. Every time my kids sin against the will of their father, they are accepted back in. And you should know that as you sit here today, that you are forgiven by God. Could there be anything more practical to your life that when you come to the communion table, that it's a celebration of grace today? If, nothing, if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear that. Because that's practical. We are God's people. Another note there, number two, if you're keeping the list, is that Jesus reveals God to us. In verse six it says that, he said, I have manifested your name. I have made known your name. When Jesus came to earth, we call it the incarnation because what was happening was God had come to earth. God was revealing Himself to His people. And the reason that's so crazy is because He came as a baby. Kings don't come in weakness. Kings don't come in vulnerability. Kings don't come as babies. Kings come riding on horses. Like when we think the kingdom of God, we think revelation. We don't think the Christmas story. (laughs) We don't think mangers, feeding troughs. I mean, then you throw in the virgin birth and you're like, man, this is like out there. Jesus reveals God to us. It's a big deal because of how he chose to do it. And then he lived as a humble carpenter. To give his life as a ransom for many, as scripture would say. And then lead us to victory. And so, Jesus reveals God to us. Number three, verse nine, I find this to be fascinating, is that Jesus prayed. Now that might seem obvious because you've been in church for a while, but think about it. At the expense of saying the obvious, if the Son of God, God in the flesh, comes to earth and spends a lot of time in prayer, what do you think that says about our need to spend time in prayer? Come on, class. We need to do more, right? I don't know about you, but I could stop there and feel plenty convicted. Right? There's been many a theologian who has said that our time on social media will in the day of judgment, be the way that we get judged, right? And I think it was a joke, but it might be true, right? That if I have time to do all of that, surely I would have time to spend it with the Father. Amen? Amen. Amen. Jesus prayed. Isn't that wild? Right before He would go to the cross, He would go to a garden and He would take His disciples and He would ask them to pray with Him. To pray for him as he went and pleaded with the Father for some other way because he was still totally human. And he would say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. While the disciples took a nap. 
Jesus prayed. Number four, I find this to be fascinating. In verse 10, that Jesus is glorified in his people. What a wild thing that is. Look at verse 10 again. All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Can I give you an encouragement this morning? Don't overanalyze that. Just let the awe and wonder of the fact that the God who hung the stars is glorified in this right here. This right here. He said in Hebrews, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Why? Because this is the kingdom of God breaking through. This is the cracks in the dark that let light in. That you would stand here and sing with your hands in the air a song that says, He is Lord. To the glory of the Father. That's pretty wild. He is glorified in His people. What an amazing thing. Just be in all of that today. Number five. We are one unified people. Verse 11. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. As the Trinity, when I, when I say that we can live a Trinitarian life, how do we do that? By being one as they are one. How do we be one? How, do, how does God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be one? I don't know. But I do know that they love each other, and they serve each other, and it's amazing. That sounds like better church life to me than whatever all the other things are, doesn't it? That we would love each other like that. that that's, that's the aim, right? That we would love like that, that we would be one. I love that the way that's described, that the Father is holding on to us in His name so that we can be one. Not divisive, but unified. And why this matters so much will come through here in a minute, but let's go to number six. Number six, this is going to be important for all of us. Number six, we have Christ's joy. Look at verse 13 here. But now I am coming to you that these things I speak in the world... Why? He's going to leave and he's going to leave us with his word. Why? So that my joy would be fulfilled in themselves. That us, that this, this right here, when you show up to city group, that the point is actually that you would find joy, Christ's joy by being with his people. Why, Why do our smaller family units go on vacation? Why do our smaller family units Take time to rest. Why do we do those things? Why do we try to, we call it making memories? Because it's a small picture of the kingdom of God every time we do that. Where we step away from the things that we're trying to build and we recognize and be grateful for the things that God has already built. Powerful stuff. In the mundane. Right? That just getting on the floor with your kids or going and sitting by the bedside of someone passing away or going to a fire department or going on God's dogs or whatever it is that God's calling you to, that in those little things, we see the kingdom of God breaking into earth as it is in heaven. It brings meaning to our life that we can have Christ's joy 
And so if you're like me and you're not experiencing that all the time, this is where we recalibrate that understanding of joy. Where am I looking? Where am I setting my affection? Because out of that, I'm going to derive how I feel and what I think and who I'm with and how they affect me. All these things matter. Number seven, right on the heels of that, in verse 8 and 14, we're told that we have God's word. We have God's word. Look at verse 14. I have given them what? Your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I think it's interesting that he says, I gave them your word because they're going to be hated. In other words, the love of the people in the world, in culture, can't be the barometer for how we feel. It can't be the barometer for what we think. There has to be something else. There has to be some other standard over here in which we can point to and say we have a North Star. And his name is Jesus and he gave us your word. Super important and practical. Because, number eight, the world will hate us, verse 14. Right? And we spent a whole sermon on that, so I don't want to take too much time. But it shouldn't come as a surprise to us, should it? And by the way, we don't hate anybody. We don't hate any people. Right? Scripture is very clear that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of this world. So when we face opposition and we face hate from the evil one, we don't hate people. We don't hate the person on the other side of that hate. This is difficult because a lot of times we see those faces and we don't see what's behind it. Critically important because it shouldn't come as a surprise. Our worldview is shaped by God and His Word. And so we are at odds in many ways, right? Just think about some of the simple ones. We value life. But we live in a world that values death. How else does something like abortion become mainstream thinking? That's the only way. And I just want you to know, if, you, if you've had an abortion, God has so much grace for you and He loves you and He can take what was evil and make it good. So don't hear me saying that. But what we are saying is as a worldview, we value life. And so we are immediately at odds with the world around us. Immediately. Let me, let me drive that a little farther. We do not value war. Because we value life. There is this tendency in our country to believe that we should be at war. And now I'm not, I'm not saying we can't defend ourselves or anything like that. But what I am saying is we value life. So the first things that come to your mind should be, oh my gosh, God help us. There are people in Palestine dying. There are people in Israel dying. Who don't want to be in war. They want to live. This is the things that should stir our heart. Super important. We could talk about sexuality and gender and say we, um, we value the life that God created. And so what we feel is compassion for those who feel like they have never discovered why God made them the way they are. We're not anti-anybody. But we want them to flourish and we believe that God made us on purpose and gave us a purpose, a vocation in the world to display His glory and good to everybody. 
to have dominion over the earth, to subdue it and to flourish. Man, we could spend a whole week on just that stuff. But just know that our sacred scripture has been passed down and Jesus says, I've given them your word and that we have a worldview. We have a Lord. We have a God and it's good. Don't let anybody tell you it's not because God is actively working in us, which brings us to number nine. So number eight was the world will hate us. Number nine, we're being sanctified, right? We're being sanctified. Verse 17 says that Jesus is praying, sanctify them in the truth because your word is truth. What is that doing? Every day I need Jesus. More and more I'm realizing every day I need Jesus. Don't get into this trap of thinking I'm better and better and better. Look at, look at me. <laughs> no, no, no. Get riled up up here. Think about this. The slow work of the Spirit over time through His Word and His people has the opportunity to, if we'll surrender, to shape us to be like Jesus and do what Jesus did. But that never comes when I notice how good I am. Did you ever notice that? It comes when I realize how messed up I am and how willing I am to surrender and repent and do the things that Jesus showed us we should do. As we say around here, up and out, right? To look to Jesus and then look like Jesus and then look with Jesus. That's the whole deal. Jesus. Really powerful stuff. We're being sanctified by the truth. Number ten. We're in the world, dot, 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 on behalf of Jesus. That's what's so incredible about that sanctifying work in us is that we're his ambassadors, Paul tells us. God making his appeal to the world through us. Jesus is saying as much here in verse 15 to 18, didn't he? I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. As you sent me, verse 18, into the world, so I have sent them into the world. This is not a... This world is just not my home. I'm just a passing through. That's not at all what Jesus said. Jesus, in fact, said the opposite. He said, I am not taking them out of the world. I'm sending them into the world. Why? Because our vocation is, God, would your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? And he's choosing to do that through us. We have an amazing mission. We have an amazing vocation here on earth. It's beautiful. And it's not just in here, right? Like you all do what you do so that God's kingdom would go out of here and flourish in the earth. That's why you're good at things I'm not and I am that you're not and there's doctors and teachers and all the things. Super important. We're in the world on behalf of Jesus. Number 11, verse 20, shows us that all of this counts for us. So if you're keeping notes, it's this counts for me, right? Because... I love that this verse is here because it'd be easy to just be like, well, that was for the disciples in that time. But look at verse 20 again. I do not ask for these only, the ones presently now. Look at what he says. I don't ask for them only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. What is that? The rest of the New Testament. Yeah, powerful stuff. I'm so glad it's here. It's a significant nod as to why scripture matters. 
begins right here with Jesus' own words. Matters for us today. Number 12, we're participating in a unified church body. Not just here at Redeemer, but I, I say it this way a lot. The capital C church. Why do we talk about Cambodia? Why do we talk about Indonesia? Why do we talk about Peru? Why do we talk about Jamaica? Why do we talk about all these places? Why do we talk about Make Your Mark in Ethiopia? Because we're part of one global church body and we need to be reminded of that. That it's not just about us right here. We are in a long line of faithfulness. We sit in this building because a hundred years ago a Lutheran church saw, saw that it would be good for the presence of God to come into this neighborhood in Tampa Heights. And so we sit in a long line of faithfulness that Zion created on this corner. Powerful stuff. Isn't it pretty awesome to think that somebody sat in that pew that you're in and took communion a hundred years ago? That's crazy. I love that. It's perspective shaping that not that we are not the center of the world. Jesus is. I love that. Number 13. It's that unity that will attract people to Jesus. It's giving our secular moment a different option than the one they're seeing in the world every day. An oasis, a refuge, a totally different picture where we're not out for ourselves, but we're out for each other. That sounds good. It's very difficult to live. Very difficult to live. Verse 23, though, is critically important because he says, I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one. And he didn't stop, right? He said, so that. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. There's a reason our unity matters. Because that's where people see Jesus. That's where people see Jesus. There's something different about those people and it's Jesus. Something different about Redeemer City Church and it's Jesus. Coming from a heart of love. Number 14, the glory of God is shown through the unity of his people. The glory of God. Here we are again at that idea that keeps surfacing here. Look what he says. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Powerful. We could unpack that for a while. The glory of God is shown in this place. Number 15, and finally, maybe for you and I, the most significant, verse 25 and 26 tell us that we can know God. Think about the ramifications of that. The ramifications of the fact that in first grade, you can know God. In fifth grade, you can know God. In seventh, eighth grade, you can Know God. As a young adult, you can know God. In college, you can know God. In the workforce, in the mundane, in the 20th year of your work in the workforce, you can still know God. As a grandparent, you can know God. In marriage, you can know God. I could just keep going. In death, you can know God. 
May it never be lost on us that we can know the one who hung the stars. You go stand at the beach and look out and feel small and you can remember that I can know that God. Wow. Look at verse 25. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known. Do you ever wonder why sometimes when you get saved it's so exciting and then it get, get, becomes a struggle to really get excited about God? Can I remind you that Jesus continues to make Him known? So you might need to step out of your regular routine and go wade into an ocean somewhere and listen. Feel the sun on your skin. Go roll around in the grass like you did when you were a kid. I'm not kidding. Like, These are the things that remind us. Take your dog outside and play in the yard like these are the things that remind us that we are small and that God is good. And we need that perspective. We live in a moment where scientism has reigned supreme for a long time, but I want you to know that that view is crumbling. That view is crumbling because it's bankrupt. And we 100% say that science can't explain everything because God is at work in the world and there are things that we can't see that are true. It's important for you to know that. Don't shy away from that. I feel great about the fact that I can't explain everything in the universe. It's reassuring to me. All right. The temptation of me giving you a list of 15 things is that you're going to see that as a to-do list. But remember what I called it. 15 facts we can learn. There are things that are already true because Jesus has made them true. Super important. But remember what C.S. Lewis said. Remember what Paul said. What are we aiming at? What are we aiming at? Heaven or earth? What are we setting our mind on? The things of earth or the things of heaven? The crooks of the entire thing, and this is what I want to bring all of it back to, is verse 3. You didn't skip over it, did you? (laughs) The whole thing, in my opinion, comes back to verse 3. And this is super important for you. Whatever you're facing today, celebrating, struggling, suffering, all of it, Look at verse 3. And this is eternal life. Not only can you know God, but you can right now know what eternal life is. Right When we say John 3.16 and 17, and we say, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have what? Eternal life. Everlasting life. What is that? Right? 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Saved to what? What is eternal life? Jesus tells us. Aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) And this is eternal life. That they know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ 
whom you have sent. That's it. So when we say the vision is Jesus, that is why. Because everything else comes out of that. This is eternal life. That they may know you. The fact that you can know God is the whole deal. And it will change everything else in your life. Here's the danger. Is that some of us have believed for a long time that we were in and we never knew God. Our heart was never stirred by the movement of God to love Him. We love because He first loved us. And don't be scared by that. Salvation is a posture of your heart. Eternal life is a posture of your heart. See, some of us were told that there was a sinner's prayer you could pray. <laughs> Chapter and verse me. No, no, no. What, what, is, what is the confession of salvation? If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead, you will be saved. That's the thing. And that only happens when we are made alive together with Christ by the Holy Spirit. You can't do that on your own. And so, when you get baptized, what's so beautiful about that is because when we put you under and then we bring you out and say, raise to walk in newness of life, it matters because you're getting a visible representation of what God's doing in the world. That He has moved. It's powerful. As we get ready to take communion, we're doing so because 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that we can participate in the body and blood of Jesus. I don't know how that works. It doesn't matter. We're not Catholic, so I'm not going to sprinkle something on it and it will suddenly turn into flesh. Like We don't believe that either. But what we do believe is there's a mystery to Christ in us, the hope of glory, right? We do confess that there's more happening in the elements than just a poor excuse at a wafer and a very small amount of grape juice. There's something happening there that's powerful. Eternal life is simply this, knowing God. Knowing God. Before we take communion, let me, let me read you something that Augustine preached on eternal life and is certainly still proper for us today. Here's what he said. He said, It is for love of this world, after all, that people slave away at all their affairs. But as for you, see that you slave away at all your good works, not for the love of the world, but for the sake of the eternal rest that God promises you. You see, there are things to do in this world. But notice where he mentions that they come from. From the eternal rest. So what I'm doing now with my hands and my feet, keep doing it, but do it from eternal life. 
That is what we in communion are saying over and over again. How do we declare that Jesus is coming again? By resting in the promise that he has made us. That he will come again. And that while we wait, we work because we are rested. (laughs) That's a totally different view of life than we have normally been living. And I want to invite you to it today. If you've never confessed Jesus as Lord and believed in your heart that God rose from the dead, I want to invite you to believe that today and declare it in your mouth and your heart and take communion. If you don't believe that, if you don't even know what that means, I invite you to wait on communion, not to take it. Because we believe it's really important. We believe it's the thing. It's the thing we want you to walk away from today, knowing that there is a God and that you can know Him and that He gave His life for you and then He rose from the dead, securing salvation and eternal life. 